Hi everyone, and welcome to the December edition of the DistilleryTours.scot podcast, giving you that wee bit of extra insight from Scotland's whisky distilleries. My name's Nikki Simpson, and in this episode, I spoke to Andy Bell, Head of Sales for Europe and the Nordics for the Isle of Arran Distillers. Andy tells us about the Lacranza Distillery's unique history and the impact its founder had on the wider whisky industry. He compares the processes at Lag and Lacranza and tells us about their project North and South, which brought the two spirits together. If you'd like to find out more about the Lacranza and Lag distilleries and their whisky, check out distillerytours.scot and click on the Book Now button on their listings. We hope you enjoy it. Start your whisky journey with Caledonian McBrain, proud sponsors of distillery and whisky news podcasts. Visit calmac.co.uk for further information. So today I'm here with Andy Bell, Head of Sales for Europe and the Nordics for Isle of Arran Distillers. How are you doing, Andy? Hey, Nicky, I'm all right. You? Good. Yes, I'm all right. Thank you. I have a sick child, but other than that, everything's good. Uh, So tell us about your life before whisky and how you came to work at the Lacranza Distillery. Well, my my life before whisky... um, professionally isn't isn't that long because I started in the, at Aaron when I was relatively young but when I came out of school um wasn't terribly interested in going to university it probably would have been a waste of of time for all concerned so I went straight to work um and I did that for worked for a couple of different companies uh before actually starting a, a company with my father and two other guys and the company was in the the, the AV sector so we did <laughs> like speakers and projectors and TVs and we installed them into law firms and the NHS and uh, things like that. So, yeah, totally, totally different realm uh, to, to to whiskey entirely. But around that time, uh, 2009-ish, is when I started to get interested in whiskey as a topic. Um, not not really sure why, other than having a bit of a seminal moment uh, after a, you know, having a wee dram after a, a night out with one of my pals and, and realising that I really like, I really quite like the taste of what I had in my glass and that kind of pushed me off the edge of the cliff, if you like, or that that was my slippery slope dram moment. And uh, yeah, that, that that's where it started and I, I ended up just wanting to learn more and more about it. And yeah, that, that was just really the start of the, the start of the journey. And after um about five years of ha- having been more or less obsessed with it, I, I started to realise that I wanted to to talk to to more people about whiskey than could be sustained by my immediately friend uh, my immediate friend group. So I, I started emailing out to distilleries and asking if they wanted any help at the weekends or at fairs because d- during the summer of twenty thirteen I went to what I think was the first ever uh, Deanston Open Day and oh, lo- cool. lo- it was cool I, it was dead cool and lo and behold at that they had people standing about pouring whiskey for the public and telling them about it I thought god that looks a bit cool I'd like to do that albeit not as a job I, I already had a job I was happy with so um, I just I just wanted to kind of do that to talk to people about whiskey and so I emailed distilleries asking if I, if I could and I didn't really get very many responses um, but the one that did give me a response was Aaron and I don't know whether they misconstrued what I was looking for or they just saw an opportunity, but they replied saying that somebody's just left and could I give them my CV? So I, that's what I did. And then by November of 2013, I was standing behind the Aaron stand at the Glasgow Whiskey Fair um, and in the in the Dear Departed Arches. And they, it was about to start as 
regional sales manager uh, in January 2014. And Amazing. Did you have any training or did you just rock up? Um, just, no, well, I think the thing was, do you mean training by Aaron or, or? No, I mean training by, like, in the whiskey in, industry. In, in, um, not not formally, I wouldn't I wouldn't say, but I I had I had done a couple of night courses at the Good Spirits Company. All right, um, cool. So down the stairs there and through the back, they've got this kind of classroom type space. They use that for for wine qualifications and and tastings of their own, and also for this this school uh, sort of night school thing called the Whiskey Trail, which is is delivered by a gentleman called John Lamond, who has been in the uh, in in and around the whiskey industry for a long time, and and he sort of does a, a course, and it's fantastic value. I think at the time I paid about eighty pounds for for te- for ten or twelve weeks, and you taste four whiskies every night. You learn all about the fourth minimum. I mean, you taste can, can taste six or eight in, in a night, but it's always four minimum, and then. You know, you, you taste lots of stuff, talk about the history of the industry, the process, and you even get a distillery visit for that price, or you did at that time anyway, it's a while ago. But uh, yeah, that, that was a lovely, fun, cost effective way to learn to learn a lot about to learn a lot about whiskey. So I, I had a bit of knowledge. I already had opinions about what, what whiskies I liked and what which ones I thought were good and, and maybe maybe less good or for my taste anyway. So um I had a bit of experience but n- nothing in terms of the industry really. Um, when I when I started when I started at Aaron, how lovely though that they took a chance on you. They must have seen something well, in, you, in I, your in your passion, huh? Maybe I, I guess, and I certainly was passionate. I still am, um, but I I guess maybe not having worked in the industry before kind of suited Aaron because I didn't have preconceptions about what you know how to how to work in a in a in a whiskey company, and I was able to be molded in that in that way. But I did have sort of. Relatively high work ethic from having started my own company with my father and the two other other guys because in that situation if you don't work then you don't get paid so yeah. that that ethic is something that once you've worked for yourself I'm sure anybody who, who who has will testify to this once you've worked for yourself that that ethic is ingrained into you because it's it's so important at that in that scenario yeah so, you're, um, you're you're proactive or you or you don't exist huh so tell us about much. the lacranza distillery then it has a bit of a unique history doesn't it that, that's right yeah it's a it's a funny one because it, it kind of is seen a bit as one of the new school and i suppose that is that is true uh, but it's it's more about for me about context and understanding the importance of of when the distillery started um because that that was in 1995 and and at that time distilleries weren't really opening it was more more about the culture was for closures rather than innovation and 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 opening. So, f- first of all, before you think about anything else, it was quite a surprise when when Aaron came along in nineteen ninety five and said that they were going to make make spirit for the purposes of uh, developing a single malt brand and uh, never mind any selling to blends. That wasn't on the agenda, which which people thought was pretty mad at the time, since blend was more or less the the reason, detra the reason detra for for the, the whiskey industry. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's kind of a unique, it was a unique time to be thinking about opening a distillery. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the thing took a bit of, a bit of foresight and the person who had that foresight was a guy called Harold Curry. Uh, he, he's another industry uh, veteran. Actually his, his life is fascinating. You, you can read about it. There's a, there's a fabulous, um, account of his life on scotchwhiskey.com and it, it reads more like an action novel than it does a... Uh, a story of the, the whisk industry. He was um he had a a, a very illustrious life. 
uh, he, he he was part of one of the most um, infamous tank battles of the Normandy uh, campaign just after D Day, and then after that his entrepreneurial flair already was starting to sh- uh, to show because he stuck about after the war and teamed up with a a German leather manufacturer and they made handbags to sell to the troops taking home to their wives. So that was his first, or maybe not his first, but it was certainly a hint at entrepreneurial flair to come, and. Once he was back in Scotland, he ended up working for House of Seagram, which then morphed into uh, uh, Shebus Brothers. And by the time he retired in um, the the late 1970s, I think it was 1981 he retired, he retired as managing director of, of Shebus Brothers. So he was a, a very um, proficient marketeer, to say the least. Well, that's interesting, though. You said that the uh, distillery was opened in 1995, but he retired yep. in, in 1981. So was yep. he, did he just, what happened there? Tell us he, about... he was retained as a consultant by Pernod Ricard for the best part of a decade. And then when he finally retired, immediately, you know, every entrepreneur got itchy feet and, and wanted to do something else and maybe realise a dream of having his own distillery. And so that's how Aaron came about. So he wanted to realise that, that dream and know what what better place to start a distillery than in the, the beautiful isle of Arran so that, well there's a good the... question in itself I mean I've been to Arran it is beautiful you're right um I used to live just opposite Arran in in West Kilbride and um the view of Arran itself is enough to write home about but mm. um but it's also you know not that easy to get to what what do you think what do you think was the motivation for him choosing to to, to build a distillery on Arran I think part of the the reason that part of what you can take from the fact that Aaron, that the distillery is on Aaron tells you quite a lot about the reason for Harold to start it in, in its entirety was that it was a passion project because to be honest with you it's not really the, the you know <laughs> potentially the most commercially sensible thing when you're starting a new distillery is to, to plonk it on a, a west coast island because it's you know it adds extra logistical headache um, and into the bargain expense all the materials you need to bring over to build the distillery, never mind all your um, production materials, um, raw materials, malt, uh, casks, all, all these things that have to be taken into account. You know, I'm, I'm not, there's plenty of distilleries that have started on the West Coast in awkward locations and made a good go of it. Ardenmurkin being one, McNean being one, uh, Kilhoman and Isla, you know, th- these things have all sprung up in, re- in reasonably recent years. Um, but... It has to be said when you put a distillery in an awkward location that has to be taken into account when you think about your your costs, and yeah, that I guess was, but you know it was just something that Harold was want, wanted to do, uh, because of a, a number of things. So Aaron has this rich history with with his uh, with whiskey production, um, legally and otherwise, I suppose you might say, um, it's as famous in years gone by for for illicit um spirit production as it is for 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 the legal stuff. Uh-huh. Um, so in the, the sort of late 1700s there there was a big problem for the UK excise being caused by the Isle of Arran uh, because there were so many illegal stills burning there that it caused the, the revenue to put two cutters into the Firth of Clyde that were patrolling 24 hours a day uh, because of, the, because of the, the, the flood of what they called Arran water coming off, coming off that island um, eventually though um, after the excise act legal distilling won out and there were three legal distilleries on the island uh, all, all told though um, illicit distilling was still said to continue and if what we hear is correct occasionally it still happens today but that was one of the reasons that Harold wanted to start the, the distillery there because the island had this rich heritage 
the other reason was was the water. Uh, now, at La Carranza, the reason the distillery stands where it does is because of the little burn that runs by it. And uh, that, that, that burn has some remarkable qualities. Um, when it comes to building a distillery, your water source has to be taken into account as much as anything else because you're going to use the water in the distillery in a number of ways. It's, a, it's obviously a key ingredient. It's one of the three ingredients in whiskey, water, of course, but it's also a tool. So we use water around the distillery for cleaning, for raising steam in the boiler, lots of different things. So the water source has to suit all those purposes. Um, so the, the water at La Carranza is a remarkable source for its softness. It's, it's a very, very soft water source, very low in calcium carbonate. And that's, that's good in many ways when you're, when you're talking about the production of whiskey. So that was a, a very good reason to, to plonk the distillery down. How low is it? How low is oh, the... I believe it's right to say that to be considered soft water, um, it, any water has to have below f- uh, 40 uh, milligrams of calcium carbonate in the water. And I think Locranza has shy of a tenth of that. So it's really, really, wow. really very soft. And whatever you think about uh, how that might influence the the flavours of, of a fermentation and then uh, a distillation, you know, very, very possibly does, but possibly more relevant to, is to mention that it is very good for distillery equipment if your water isn't going to contain um, particulate that will eventually clog up your machinery and your heat exchangers. And, you know, it, it's just more efficient to use a, to use a soft water source. Um, as I said, you could, you could have lots of uh, discussions for, for many hours about how, how good it is about, you know, how good it is for fermentation and to, to impart taste into the whiskey itself. Um, but the other angle in terms of the machinery isn't really up for debate. That's just just a good thing. Yeah, you don't have to keep on chipping off the chalk. <laughs> That's it, yeah, yeah. It's just things run more efficiently. So Harold was clearly a bit of a pioneer. What other impacts do you think he had on the whisky industry? Well, as I mentioned, before he before he came to start Aaron, he was managing director of, of uh, Shivas Brothers and what, uh, during his tenure there, kind of the main the main part of it, the, the most influential part, his his managing directorship of that company, um, late late seventies is a, a very big boom time for for whiskey. That's when it really started to catch fire. Before the disaster of the eighties, uh, nonetheless, it, it was a very a very healthy period for the for the whiskey industry back then, and his his uh, impact in that was was relatively significant. I would say because at that point or just earlier. Johnny Walker didn't really have any main competitors, um, not 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 to the volumes that we see nowadays, uh, anyway, and Harold decided that it should have one, and that the shape the shape that would take would be Shivas Regal, and I would say that he's probably the reason that Shivas Regal is as well known as it is today, and that you know that that's a, a major contribution in itself, but he also I I believe did something that we still feel the the shockwaves of in the industry now and that he made whiskey an aspirational product. So nowadays it's it's no strange thing to see uh, a bottle of Macallan and a, a Lalique decanter or, you know, a, a fancy limited edition Aaron that you can collect. So, you know, these are aspirational products, but, you know, that idea had to start somewhere because, let's face it, initially whiskey was probably more of a functional drink. It, it, it served its purpose, if you see what I mean. Yeah, um, made for kind of cleaning wounds and and, and <laughs> warming you up on an on a on a cold <laughs> night kind of thing. Well, yeah, how did, like, how do you think that, he did that then? How did he make well, it an aspirational well, well, product? Th- there's an ad campaign from the late seventies that says something to the effect of 
I, I believe it's something like, of, of course you can afford it. Think of all the money you've saved drinking ordinary scotch. And that was in relation <laughs> to, 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 to Shivas. So now, now suddenly you see, obviously, um, you see this this whiskey held up as a as an aspirational thing. You know, all all distilleries had had uh, marketing departments had tried to push the benefits of of their own of their own single malt. You know, what was the old one like Hague's not a not a headache in a gallon or um, or you know the Dewar's advert with the guy running for the bus with the the bottle of white label under his arm and the flu germs going oh we've got no chance he's got Hague. Or or juice, sorry. <laughs> um, but I I reckon it was a relatively new idea back in the late seventies to 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 call whiskey something to aim for, and that's something that that we still you know that that's something that the industry trades on very successfully these days. And I I, I believe it was Harold Curry that was at the the cutting edge of that sort of logic when it came to whiskey. The marketing mind behind it all. Definitely. Can you tell us a bit more about the Lag Distillery? Because you've got two distilleries, haven't you? You've got the Lacrans and then the Lag one in the north. Uh, yeah, sorry, yeah. Lacrans in the south and Lag in the north, or the other way around? Other way up. Yeah. So it's a uh, Lacranza right up top, and then Lag Lag uh, way down south. So yeah, we, we we've been at uh, distilling in Lacranza for over twenty five years now, and you know that that was amazing in itself because it kind of kicked open the door for for distilling malt in a modern age. Um, but a few years ago now, um, I think it was, God, I think the turf was cut in 2019, so but probably back end of 2017, early 2018 is when we started discussing the possibility that we might have another distillery um, on the island down, down in the south end. Now that, that south end of Arran is where all the distilling would have happened in days gone by, so that, that's really the, the home of distilling on Arran, if we're going to be honest about it. Because okay. the, the farming would have happened. Um, distilling was positively encouraged back then by by landlords who owned the fields and owned the owned the fields that the farmers were working. And if the farmers weren't going to, you know, sell enough grain to meet their rent, then the the landowner didn't care how the how the rent was met. He just wanted it met. So, uh, the the farmers often turned to distillation to 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 raise the extra funds for that. So. Yeah, that that's where it all happened. Hence the farming thing, and yeah, that, that's that that's the idea. So we have two there on the island now, and we've been producing at Lag. It'll be three years in March. Coming. Oh wow, that's exciting! A really huge. Obviously, that that is the that is the milestone when it comes to comes to distilling. If you're if you're a, a new producer, then that's 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 the date that your eyes are fixed on. And yeah, we're nearly there. So it's it's a very exciting thing that the two distilleries, you know, as as much as you couldn't be farther apart on Aaron, they couldn't be farther apart in style, in terms of what spirit they make. So it's a really exciting thing to be able to to be able to offer such varied prospects. Are the processes that you produce to produce the two are they quite similar or are you quite different in the two um, distilleries as well? Well, obviously the the process is fundamentally the same because it's the same product that we're making, but at the same time. The spirit, are the spirit. Two spirits are antithetical to one another. They couldn't be more different because each stage of the process is is, um, as different as almost as we could make it. So, uh, to to run through, um, the, in the mashing, the mash tun down at Lag is double the size of Lucranza, and we we rake the mash during, during during the mash process because that, um, it dredges up, you know, lots more. Um, or it pulls out lots more lipid from the, 
from the from the malt and it let it kind of keeps down fermentation it inhibits it slightly and will encourage more nutty flavors than fruity ones okay it's a, a feature of that technique um the fermentation that we do down at lag is uh, much longer than it is at Locranza. so Locranza could any, last anywhere between sort of 55 to 65 hours or so and that that's on average um down at Locranza, down at lags yeah, i'll mix them up as well helps that they both begin with l doesn't it? <laughs> down, down, down at lag um it could it could last anywhere up to you know 100 to 110 hours so it's slightly different um up at la Carranza, the stills are, are reasonably small and the line arms are are relatively flat horizontal uh that kind of allows us to create you know something that has a bit of weight about it but um also retains some lightness of character that's really not what we're looking for down at lag we're looking for a big meaty beast of a whiskey so what we need to do is use large, uh, large stills. That's exactly what we've done. Uh, that minimises copper contact and and sort of, you know, the, the less copper contact you have, the less uh, interaction there is there, which would uh, strip away uh, certain certain compounds that would accentuate fruity ones. So what we do at lag is try to leave those in a little bit more, and you know that that's done by lack of copper contact. Then we have our line arms are are very much downward sloping down at, at, at lag so that that also encourages heavy heaviness in the the final spirit and during the distillation process the 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 area where there's most copper contact incurred is actually in the condenser if you're using a, a shell and tube condenser and at that point um it's important what size your condenser is down at lag it's a very short very short condenser um up at lag uh, up at Lacranza, it's it's they're, they're quite tall so we're kind of we're minimizing copper contact the last thing to mention is the still uh, the speed that we run the stills at uh, up at Lacranza. it's really very slow um it's about 6 liters a minute in the the spirit cut which is very very slow indeed Glengoyne, i think is the slowest in the industry at 4 liters a minute um so but Lacranza, you mean that comes into very slow distillation territory it kind of trickles through the safe but down at lag, it's, it's double the speed. So we're really, again, trying to minimise copper contact and 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 reflux. I suppose we don't want too much redistillation. We're trying to we're trying to create a heavier spirit there. So that that's the idea. So it couldn't be more different, really. No, it's, and it's kind of set up that way in purpose. It gives us, you know, it'll give us a really interesting variance in what we're able to offer to consumers. Yeah. Nice. Uh, the people that work at a distillery can have a huge effect on the direction of the company as well. Can you tell us about the people working at the two distilleries and how they've shaped the culture of the company? Yeah, sure. That that's actually really interesting. I've mentioned Harold Curry already, and that's you know that that's obviously a, a, an amazing way to to start your to start your uh, distillery with a, with a person like that at the helm. But it doesn't stop there because our managing director Ewan Mitchell was ex uh, sales director at Springbank. And that's the most <laughs> traditional distillery you could possibly imagine. So when Ewan um, came to the company in the early 2000s, I believe it was, he uh, he brought with him lots of experience of a, a very traditionally minded distillery. And he brought contacts from having having worked in that set, you know, in, in that in that way. Uh, traditional distilleries have always got very strong uh, connections that go back a long time. And the, the value of that sort of relationship has very much been instilled in, in Aaron. Um, so he, he brought that sort of uh, approach, I suppose, with him. And Ewan is the one that, that sculpted the, the core range um, to be the way it is today. Um, in, the, in the very early 2000s, we had a great many wine cask finishes. There were reasons for that. But 
uh, Ewan was the one who tried to kind of move us away or kind of change direction slightly and, and produce a, a more constant core range that people could identify with rather than being something that you were just waiting for the next experimental Aaron to come out. We wanted to, to, to have a, a set of whiskies that people could, could start to rely on and, 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 you know, bring into their lives as their favourite. And Ewan kind of, kind of brought that, so huge amount of experience there. Um, James McTaggart is another another um, key member of our of our distillery's team and really influential in the company's history. He came from he came from Bowmore uh, Distillery to us in two thousand uh, two thousand seven, and when he came along, um, we didn't really have didn't really have a wood policy. Um, we we didn't have many things that are seen as absolutely fundamental. And to be honest with you, the reason for that was because the company didn't really have very much money and. You know that that wasn't the top concern. Um, we were kind of filling what we could get our hands on and just keeping on producing. Uh, we you know we couldn't afford to be too picky at that time. Although when James came, he instantiated the the wood policy that we still we still have today. Um, and you know the 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 whiskies and the younger ages that we're producing these days are absolutely fabulous for it. Um, so he brought a wealth of experience from working for a company like. Uh, well, working it first of all, working in a traditionally traditional distillery like Bowmore, which is you know is one of the oldest licensed distilleries in, in Scotland. Well, it's, it's one of the oldest distilleries put full stop in Scotland. So he's um he's been he'd been working there for a long time since the, the mid seventies, and and all of that knowledge came with him. But at the same time, he had been working under Beam Suntory for some for, for a little while before he moved to Aaron. So he also had a bit of knowledge on how a a more commercially orientated distillery operates uh, which he was able to you know he was able to take the best bits of that and and integrate them to Aaron and and leave some of the more uh, or what would you say some of the less dynamic aspects of of that behind and, and bring some of the more organizational parts like the wood policy and things which are so important uh, we've also got uh, our, our distillery manager down at lag who's Graham Obund. he would he was working up at Lochranza for about 10 years before he moved to lag He's an Isla man at heart as well. He's he's from Isla, so uh, I, uh, Lag is suiting him down to the ground because peated peated whiskey is very much in his, in his blood too. So we have great experience in Graham, uh, yeah, and even farther back at Lochranza, our first ever distillery manager there, manager there was a guy called Gordon Mitchell who was, one of the most experienced spirit makers in Scotland. Full stop. He'd uh, worked at Lockside Distillery up in Montrose, which had a, a malt plant and a grain plant under the same roof, which was, you know, very unique and gave him gave him a great grounding. Uh, he was then poached by the Irish to go to to go to uh, to go to work for Cooley and he developed Connemara for, for them before he was able to be tempted back over to, to Scotland and see out the rest of his working life on, on the Isle of Arran. Um so he's he kind of he was there from ninety five to two thousand and seven. So full of Full of characters that have, uh, I would say, probably had a relatively significant impact in the industry. But, you know, from from the side of the stage, if you like, uh, quietly making their impact. And I, I think that's a good uh, analogy for how we try to go about our business at Aaron. All we do is do what we do, uh, make whiskey in the way that we do it, uh, try to try to do it in an honest, an honest fashion and just make a bloody good dram and, and hopefully people join us for join us for one of those. And I think that's a, something that people are starting to identify with uh, where, where Anna is, is concerned. I mean, they, they have been for a long time. We have we've got a, 
a throng of, of rabid fans that we've had for, for a couple of decades now, but on top of them, we have more and more... What and a more, lovely way uh, to describe them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I, think, Nikki, I think they would be quite happy with that. that knowing, I Calling a lot of them personal friends, I, I know they would. Um, but we have started to see that more and more folk have have joined the joined the journey with us and i think that the attitude of going about what you do quietly and not, not really shouting about it just trying your best to make a really good product is something that you know it goes down re- relatively well with 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 customers i mean there's a lot of whiskey to choose from let's be honest so all we can do is try to to make the best whiskey we can and hopefully people like it so i, po- I suppose the people that that we we've always had working for of as have sort of they've brought in this culture of being able to acknowledge the past but not have to live in it if you like and you know we can we can acknowledge the traditions that that we all stand on but you know we don't have to live and die by them we can innovate and that's something that i think is you know Aaron is in a relatively unique position there because we were the last distillery to be started inside the 20th century uh we are have always been staffed by people with decades of old school whiskey industry experience but at the same time we we can't we can't deny that we are a a relatively modern distillery and you know that's a hugely positive thing because we can we can have all that experience and an old school sensibility but at the same time nobody holds it against us if we experiment once in a while and that's something that you know it, it has got us to where we are and something that we will continue to do that's the nature of our company you know it's it's an independently owned distillery we're, we're not beholden to to a, a large corporate body that drives profit and and uh, efficiency over everything else this is you know this is a, a small independent company and it, it leaves us relatively agile to to innovate where where necessary and where we where we think it might produce a good result and I think that's another thing that's so nice about James our, our master blender and director of production um is that he is so experienced and he's been in the industry for such a long time. I mentioned he started in the, the mid-1970s and this is somebody that began his career by walking along behind a tractor in the fields and throwing sods of peat into the back of it. He is somebody that, uh, even though he, he, you know, he's been in the industry for such a long time and, and by all accounts should be you know, long in the tooth and not want to innovate, this is somebody who has always been keen to embrace forward-looking methods uh, in our production. So... Yeah, I know that that's something that has always carried across our, our business as a theme is this sort of innovation married with or kind of balanced off against a healthy amount of tradition. This culture of innovation has brought collaboration on a whiskey too, is that right? Yeah, uh, that's right. So marking an occasion is something we've never been never been shy of doing at Aaron. Uh, in 2013, we put together a whiskey called the Millennium Casks and that was uh, a bottling that was filled with... Uh, spirit that had been distilled and filled into casks across the new millennium, uh, across Hogmanay, 1999-2000. So that was a, a nice way to mark the turning of the century. Cool. Uh, recently, um, we've embarked on a kind of a different project to to mark the coming out of the first lockdown uh, during during uh, the pandemic. So um, at the end of, the end of uh, May, I believe it was last year, 2020 this is a quick time move I'm losing track of it but yeah it was it was May 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 2020 is when the first lockdown ended uh, I believe or that that's when that's when we decided to open back up our production I should say that so I'm sure lockdown is still ongoing but the government advised at the time that um, production sites could could keep going if they decided they wanted to 
uh, Aaron Lee took the decision to actually stop production for a while, uh, give everybody some space to, to, you know, get a bit of breathing space while we kind of established what was going on with the pandemic. And then in May uh, of that year, we we started producing it uh, once more. Uh, everyone was comfortable to come back to work. So on the, on the production front, I should mention. Um, so we started distilling again. And then on the 11th of May, we decided we were going to mark an occasion once more and we filled spirit from Lag Distillery and spirit from Locranza Distillery at equal parts into a, a, a varying, uh, you know, a variance of casks. So we did some bourbon casks, some sherry hogsheads, um, first and second fills. So we have a, a wee mixture of, of cask types filled with this unique uh, blend. Uh, so before we did this, we had to... We had to they're going to be so different, such two completely different tastes in together in the one in the one cast. Yeah, so the the idea was really to to bring Lochranza spirit and Lag spirit together at spirit stage, uh, which is something that is done almost never uh, in 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 the whiskey industry. It's not a common practice at all because usually, if you're going to blend two whiskies together, you want to know what they taste like as mature spirit before you before you try to marry them. Um, and I suppose when you put two spirits together at spirit stage or at new make stage, you don't know where where that where either of them are going to go at that point. So uh, that was just a bit of a, an experimental thing and a nice way to... to that's quite to, exciting to, to, though, isn't it? Oh, I th- yeah. Because you don't know how that's going to turn out. You never know, it might be. That's it. And I think it was a nice way to, to mark those two distilleries coming back online at the same time. Because they started producing again on the same day. Uh, so the the spirit was produced at the same time and you know married at the same time and it's a really nice way to mark that moment of, of of coming out of of lockdown or I should I keep saying lockdown it wasn't we weren't coming out. Of no, lockdown. I know what you mean. Once it was yeah, coming out of and, yeah, and, and reopening the production side of the distilleries, um, and yeah, it's just a. I think a really important it, thing to mark as well because I I think it's quite easy now to sit back and kind of well I guess for anybody who hasn't lost anybody. Um, during the pandemic it's quite easy to to look back on it as oh that thing that happened and oh we're all fine now or or you know we're all wearing masks but other than that it's you know not so significant but at the time it was so major it was so it, yeah it was, you know impacted the whole world it was mad and, and when we decided to open again it was actually you know kind of a big deal <laughs> or okay we're going to actually start producing again this is you know it's a bit of news here and it was actually quite a hopeful time because before that we didn't you know we didn't know how long we'd be shut for and when the decision was made okay we're going to start producing again there was okay right maybe we can get back in the horse here and and do what we do do what we love to do and yeah as I said it was quite a hopeful thing and I suppose that's a a good metaphor for whiskey again isn't it because when you fill whiskey into a cask there is a an element of uh hit and hope really you, you fill it in and then hope if you fill it into the cask and then hopefully in a few years time you'll you'll have something something beautiful on your hands uh so yeah it's a bit of that nice so tell us about your own favorite whiskey do you have one that you can chat about yeah sure i mean in the Aaron stable it's got to be the 10 year old i can't i can't see past it it's a i think it speaks to my enjoyment of any whiskey that has a, a dna or a you know a, something particular about it and i think Aaron is is one of those distilleries that does have does have something about it that's um certainly for me it's it's not mistakable i can i can pretty much tell uh, i've been intimately 
aware of of Aaron's qualities for 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 ten years now, or not quite, but close to it, and that a uh, you know you start to get to know it really well, and for me the ten year old has unmistakable Aaron qualities, but I think something about Aaron at that age is just it's just lovely. It it's not overpowered by wood. I suppose that's something in the in the cask collection that that James does so well. But it just it's a, it's a definitely a sweet spot for for Aaron where all the house style of of you know those uh, orchard fruits and it's quite a multi a multi note that we get from Aaron as it ages uh, as well as something relatively tropical that all that holds together as well as being um you know quite true to the cast characters that go into it you know the sherry hogsheads giving it the spice and a bit of dryness and complexity in the bourbon casks adding vanilla and sweetness and round texture so. Yeah, I think it's just a, a cracking sweet spot for for Aaron, where all those things hang together beautifully. So that, that's my favourite. Thank you. What do you think about um the whole kind of tasting notes v no tasting notes thing? Because I've spoken to a few people who think yeah. they didn't have tasting notes, but I know that you feel a little bit differently, isn't that right? Well, yes, yes, and no. I I see that I see that point of view for sure. Um, but whiskey, Scotch whiskey, is is one of the world's venerable drinks you know I, I liken it to you know the likes of beautiful rum from jamaica or or the wines of bordeaux or or champagne or rioca or port these are all all drinks that have unmistakable uh, uh, characteristics to them yep. and pro- producers are all absolutely intent on in those products and telling you what their characteristics are they have lots of reasons for that in france it's all about uh, or in wine it's all about terroir and what does the wine what does the wine take from the what does the wine take from everything? What is the soil and the 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 microclimate of the vineyard, the winemaker? That's all. That's all terroir, and I'm not. Well, we could argue about that on another podcast, but um, I'm not necessarily saying that whiskey has has terroir in this in exactly the same way. But every Scotch whiskey distilling site is is different. Uh, Aaron is different from yep. from Kings Barnes. It's different from. Uh, Glen Farkless is is different from Glen Murray, and they all have flavors of their own, and they are unique. You know, they all have different fermentations. They all have different mashing regimens. They all have different setting temperatures. They all have different fermentation times, different distillation cut points, different shapes of stills. I could go on, uh, but all these things sculpt that distillery's DNA. I think it's in the gift of the producer to. To, to explain that to people and as far as I'm concerned there is a, a, right, a right and a wrong answer if you told me that your perception of Aaron is that it has the smell of tarry ropes I would tell you you were wrong that's, <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's, not, that's just silly um, so Will's tasting notes are subjective um, in some way in their nuances uh, I think in many, in many ways there are things that the producer is well within the rights to to, to guide um to guide the consumer and, and say, listen, we are Lafroig, our whiskey tastes like tarry ropes or has that character. As much as I'm able to say, listen, Aaron, what you might find is this taste of tropical fruit and, and orchard fruits. I don't see anything wrong with that. At the same time, it's a balance because if I stick my nose in that glass of Aaron 10-year-old and I, I smell green apples, person next to me might smell toffee apples and I'm not going to argue because I think that's part of what makes it fun and the tasting notes are subjective in that area so I don't think there's anything wrong with 
you know, saying saying who you are as a as a whiskey producer. Every every producer has something that they aim for, right? So if you're if you're if you're aiming for something and you feel that you've achieved it, I think it's nice to be able to say that. Thank you. Good answer. Finally then, Andy, what advice would you give to someone who would like to know more about whiskey? Go to the pot still. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I'm saying is go to go to your local whiskey bar. Um, if you're if you're fortunate to have one as good as the pot still in Glasgow, um, all, all the better. Uh, but you, you find that if you if you have a bar that or if you, you find a bar with a great selection of whiskies, they've been put there by somebody that gives a damn about whiskey. And the nature of those people is that they're more than willing to talk to you about it. So um yeah, yeah that that's a great way to, to do it if you want to know more about whiskey, uh, go to a pub and, and, and try some. And uh, another bit of advice I would say is to, to, to try things that are as different from one another as you possibly can. Um, so, you know, don't just try all the Speysides or all the Islas. Try, try a big raft of them and uh, see what you like best. Uh, read, read books. Um, whiskey is a topic that pulls passion out of many people. And that produces great books. And it has been doing that for a couple of hundred years. You can find whiskey books from the eighteen hundreds that are just as interesting as uh, the ones that are being written today. So, yeah, there's there's plenty to to read about. Uh, go to whiskey fairs. Almost every country has them, uh, and they're full of enthusiastic consumers. But they're also usually full of uh, equally enthusiastic producers that will tell you all about their their products and how you, you know, how how they make them visit distilleries. Uh, some of the these experiences are the best you can have. They're, you know, you, you want a way to get in touch with a whiskey, go and see where it's made. Uh, that's something I couldn't encourage enough. And I would obviously have to tell you that Locranza and Lag are two of the best places to do that. And within driving distance of each other as well. Yeah, to- totally. Like Aaron's a destination now. You can go to Aaron for, for a weekend and just do whiskey. Um, you, you, you used to be like a a pit stop for people on their way to Campbelltown or Isla. Uh, and, you know, now we can we can say to people, come to Aaron, spend the weekend, immerse yourself in, in Aaron whiskey. You know, you're still close to Campbelltown, you can go there after if you like, but uh, you can certainly certainly make a make a weekend out of out of Aaron and, and come and immerse yourself in what makes Aaron whiskey. Thanks, Andy. It was so nice to talk to you. Yeah, pleasure, Nikki. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Nice to be with you. If you've enjoyed hearing from Andy and would like to taste a single malt from the heavily peated Lag Distillery, look out for the distillery's inaugural bottling, which will be released in the first half of next year. Or if you'd like to stay up to date with the Lucranza Distillery and have the chance to access special bottlings, join the Aran White Stag community on their website and Facebook and take a look at the Lag and Lucranza Distillery's profiles on the distillerytours.scot website and click on the Book Now buttons to find out more. Distillerytours.scot has every whisky distillery visitor centre in one place. If you'd like to hear more from us, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram or sign up for our distillery and whisky news monthly email to hear the podcast first at distillerytours.scot forward slash sign up. We'll be taking a break from the podcast next month, but we'll be back with another brilliant distillery in February. We look forward to seeing you then.